Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Nest. Jay talking away around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. Find us on Twitter at Around Nest. I generally do the thank yous at the end of the show, but you know, every now and then I should start off the show. Big thanks to our SB Nation partners, Bluebird Banter, and especially the minor leaguer via Twitter, via everywhere else, helping to support us. And also the Bluebird Banter commenters for the questions that you will hear used over the course of this show. Let's start things right off at AA, where they are no longer the New Hampshire Fisher Vlads. They are back to being the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. But welcome aboard, Tyler Murray. How are you? Jesse, I'm doing very well. It's another beautiful day in the Granite State. And, yeah, I mean, I think the rest of our players would have preferred, you know, why not just keep the Fisher Vlads all year? But we said, you know what, guys, let's get some attention to the rest of you and go back to the Fisher Cats for the rest of the year. And uh, that's uh, what we're going to do. You could alternate player by player that the rest of the year. You could be the Fisher Cabins one night onward. Fisher Cabins is a really good idea. I saw on Twitter yesterday someone offered the uh, Buffalo Brissettes maybe uh, later on down the line when Bo gets uh, into AAA eventually. And this brings us into talking about promotions because you've been very active in this. And I see that the Fungo Wizard bobblehead is coming up. I wanted to spend a portion of today's show just talking about the best uh, promotions we've seen and the ones that we're going to see. So from up until now, starting on opening day, your favorite promotions of the season so far? Well, one of the ones I always think of is uh, our neighbors north in uh, Portland, Maine. They do a thing called the Field of Dreams, and it usually winds up the last weekend of the season when they play against us. And they've got a, a unique center field wall that opens up in the back, and they put up some corn on the, the fencing, and the players, as part of Fan Appreciation Day, will walk out of the cornfield, quote-unquote, and onto the field dressed in their old-school uniforms, and then will actually walk into the stands and shake hands with fans and take a photo or two. So uh, that one always stands out for me. Um, and not necessarily a promotion, but I've always enjoyed that, that one guy, Jesse Goldberg Strassler, always does a recreation broadcast every year, and that's, uh, that's one of the highlights, I think, of, uh, of my season. Uh, that's going to be coming up on August the 14th this year. I've already got it scheduled yeah. and in place. Were you surprised to find out, hey, by the way, Vladdy's not going directly to AAA. He is coming back with you. Yeah, we had seen some reports from uh, Toronto media, which everyone just kind of took uh, as, as true faith value, that he was going to AAA once healthy, I think was uh, what was written. Um, but we were never told outright that we had already seen his last phase in New Hampshire. So, uh Holding out hope, and then maybe a little bit more. I think even during the rehab process, it was a coin flip. I was told that up to as many as five scenarios were in play to how they were going to handle Vlad coming back off the injury. So um, I guess not shocked that he's here, but um, I think we're certainly excited to have him back. And I think everyone's rooting for him to get up a triple A and maybe even uh, to the bigs in September or something along those lines. But you never know. Did you have any chance to talk to Bo Bichette about his Futures game experience? Yeah, you know, he uh, took the three days off from the team um, to go to the on the temporary inactive list, uh, so the, the Fisher Cats certainly missed him here. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like he had himself a great time. He had that base hit, and as we said, it was his second one. But uh, at least looking at the clips, it, it seemed like he had a good time. But I uh, haven't had a chance to catch up with Bo afterward. But uh, he's in good spirits and had a really good day yesterday with a couple of doubles and three runs batted in. Question for you from Bluebird Banter, and a really fun question that I'm going to ask all the broadcasters on the show this week. Who is the highest ceiling and the highest floor on your New Hampshire Fisher Cats team? 
It's a very fun question. I guess we'll we'll keep Vladdy out of it um, because everyone's talking about him. I would say the highest ceiling for a guy we've seen this year, uh, it has to be either Bo Bichette or Kevin Biggio, and it, it pick one of those two. And I just think Biggio has broken out this year in a way that uh, people didn't even expect, even though he made all-star teams his last couple of years. Um, just the, the power swing he's developed, showing us this year that he can make the adjustments necessary to become more of a complete hitter, a more more of a power hitter. And then as I'm looking out of the diamond right now, Bo Bichette is so good at reminding people that he is still one of the top five prospects in baseball. We made such a big deal about Vlad yesterday, but Bo stole the show. And he just launched one over the Samuel Adams brew house in left field here. So as he continues to get stronger, both with his arm at shortstop and, of course, his swing at the plate, which is already pretty powerful. I mean, it's cliche, but, yes, those two guys, probably the, the highest ceiling. And how about for the lowest floor? I'm going to give you Harold Ramirez. He got here at the trade deadline in 2016, had made the all-star team, was one of the Pirates' top prospects before he came over as part of that Francisco Liriano salary dump from the Pirates. But uh, he didn't have his best year last year. But this season we're seeing the consistent line drive type swing that we expected to see. And I really think that's going to play at any level. So it's tough for me to imagine Harold Ramirez uh, is an experienced professional hitter to be any kind of bust once he gets that chance at the major league. So I'm going to give him a pretty high floor. Joined by Tyler Murray, voice of the people, an addition of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats around the nest. Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. Kate Stanwick writes in, asking, quote-unquote, do you think Kevin Biggio is likely to get a promotion to AAA anytime soon, or will he stay in New Hampshire for the playoff run? It's so interesting because the time he spent in college has him further along, you'd figure, in his development from a lot of different players because he's, he's a little bit older. But the fact that he's really broken out in such a way this year where he's been able to stay consistent, at least so far, throughout the entire season, uh, it's it's a really good question. If, if I had to guess, I, I think the, the Blue Jays seem to love having both uh, Bo and Cabin on the same infield, and there are a lot of very talented players, as we know, up in Buffalo. But I think Cabin, who's leading this league in all of AA, in fact, with 20 home runs, he more than deserves the call-up to AAA. I, I can't tell you exactly what the Blue Jays are thinking, but it would not surprise me at all to see him get called up. Although, wouldn't you think if he was going to get called up, they would have done it at the all-star break. I mean, he's proven to me anyway, all you need to know about his ability to hit double a pitching. So maybe I'll say because they haven't called him up yet, maybe he will stick around for the rest of the year, but he's certainly very much deserving. Something where uh, Kevin Biggio jumped out to me. So I'm following Ryan Noda with the Lansing Lugnuts. Noda is now up to something like 74 walks this season. That is second best in all of minor league baseball, but third best is Kevin Biggio. His walk rate wasn't this high last year, was it? No, I mean, it's really impressive. We joke around a bit that it's kind of a Barry Bonds treatment. Either you walk him or you pitch to him and he takes you deep. But it's it's impressive what he's doing because a lot of times you, you try to pound those lefties in on the hands. And if Vizio's looking for a specific pitch, it doesn't really matter where it is on the inside part of the plate. He's been able to turn on those balls and launch him over the right field fence. The vast majority of his home runs have been pulled out to right. And while we're talking about Vigio home runs, 11 of his 20 long balls this year have given the Fisher Cats a lead or tied the game. So they're coming in, in pretty impressive spots. And, of course, as his confidence grows with his swing, he really has seen some impressive development with his ability to draw walks. And he's leading our league in uh, that department as well so far. 
I have another question for you from Bluebird Banter, simply the half system. The Eastern League does not use the half system. The pennant chase goes the entire way through the season. Other leagues, Florida State League, Midwest League, Northwest League, use the half system. What are your thoughts, for better or for worse? Such a great question. A lot of good questions today from Bluebird Banter. I, I got to have four years in the Florida State League when it was first half, second half champion face-off in the first round. And, of course, now uh, three years here in the Eastern League. I always thought the, the end of the first half, it kind of gave teams uh, an excuse almost to take all the top performers and then bump them up to the next level, which is how it should work. That makes total sense. But then you're looking at a roster that is going to make the playoffs two months from that midway point with an extremely depleted roster. And you don't always get this kind of team here in New Hampshire that is talented from top to bottom and the chemistry being this good in large part thanks to manager John Schneider. But I think if any season warranted the full 140 games all being played as part of that same playoff race, I think this is it. Different years you can see them breaking up the band at the halfway point. But I think for a team like this and for a season like this, uh, the the full season scenario works out great. But uh, I don't know, for short-term gratification and having two playoff races in one season, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in the the split uh, split season uh, style of play. Let's wrap up. Fungo Wizard Bobblehead Giveaway tonight, Star Wars Night tomorrow night. Which one are you looking forward to the most? You know, we have uh, the New England School of Witchcraft and Wizardry joining us with seven of their professors tonight. So that should be a lot of fun as we celebrate the Harry Potter book and movie series. But our biggest crowd, it's not the 4th of July. It's not opening day. It is always Star Wars night, so uh, tomorrow should be a whole lot of fun. And we're actually having the, uh, the human cannonball in a, a very thin connection to Star Wars, I guess, blast off after the game. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen uh, anything like that in person before. So looking forward to the human cannonball. Um, it's a perfect weekend for Vlad to come back. This should be some of our best crowds of the season. Han Solo, of course, the namesake of the solo home run. Yeah, we we all know that. Exactly. Han Solo. Tyler Murray, voice of the people. Thank you very much for joining me. Talking double-A New Hampshire Fisher Cats and Around the Nest. Jesse, you're the best of the best. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Well, as we continue onward, Jay talking away around the organization. I am Jesse goldberg Strassler at Around Nest on Twitter is how you can find us. Let's go down to the Appy League and let me bring in Zach Helton to talk some Bluefield Blue Jays. Zach, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing very well. Let's start off with promotions. Any great promotions that you've seen so far this year? The Appy League's kind of uh, it, being in the Bible Belt. They don't really uh, allow them to think outside the box as much. But uh, we had a great military night a few weeks ago and had some great vets. And uh, the mil- uh, a military guy came out and sang the national anthem. I thought it was really patriotic and uh, that's probably one of the better promotions we've had so far this year. Question from Bluebird Banter. Who is the highest ceiling and who has the highest floor on your Blue, uh, Blue Jays team? Uh, highest ceiling, I think uh, there's a few guys between Abadesa and Lantigua. Um, both those guys right now are, are just hitting lights out, despite uh, the Jays uh, kind of on a downturn here the past couple of weeks with some great uh, – talent in the league finally uh, showing up at our doorstep. But uh, those two guys, Dom Abadez and Rafael Antigua, I think 
have a, a huge ceiling. Uh, they can they can reach uh, as far as they want. Uh, right now, I, I think those two guys are. Uh, I could see them going uh, up the chain probably before the end of the year, but I, I'm kind of hopeful not. Um, on the floor end, I don't I don't really know. I think I think we've got some great talent that uh, can can all be promoted if they work in the right. Uh, uh, you know, situation and get better at their craft. I don't know that anyone uh, on this Bluefield Blue Jays team right now is you know sitting uh, at the lowest point. I, I think a lot of these kids can can uh, better themselves and move forward. I'd like to shine that spotlight a little longer on Dom Abadesa and Rafael Lantigua. Let's start with Abadesa. All right, twenty third round draft choice. Back in 2016, out of high school in California, what's it like to watch him play baseball? He's he's tremendous both offensively and defensively. He kind of, you know, uh, he's kind of been a slow riser, but I think this is his year to break out. He past 10 games, uh, 14 hits with a with a home run, five RBIs, and stolen four bags just on the offensive end. He's played right, left, center. Uh, he's played all three outfield positions, and he's done tremendous, uh, especially in center. Uh, I've, if anybody who's played center field or knows uh, center field knows that going straight back on a baseball is probably the hardest play a center fielder can make. And I've seen Abadesa make tremendous catch after tremendous catch in center field, just going straight back either to the track or off the wall. And uh, I, I don't see anything that can phase that kid in the outfield. He's made – uh, all the routine plays, and then and and then so. Now Rafael Antigua. Last year he's in the Dominican Summer League, so it's natural that he starts off this year in the Gulf Coast League. He bats only two twelve. It goes seven for thirty three in eight games, and then he gets the call up, and he has been smashing it for Bluefield. Yeah, I think it was just a change of venue for him. Uh, you know, he's only been here thirteen games. 360, uh, two doubles and seven RBIs, and uh, he can play both shortstop and second base. Even though he's kind of found a home at second base with De Los Santos at short, but watching those two turn a double play is it is immaculate. They those two together are so fun to watch, and uh, I, I, I had a couple of fans that I know uh, from outside the organization come up and watch a game the other night, and basically. Those two make it look flawlessly, and I said, you know, it, I, I get there early and usually watch BP and watch them take a little infield, and it is just fun to just see them try different things behind the back or glove flips uh, over the head. They'll do all kinds of it's, – it's almost watching an and one baseball tape. Uh, some of the kids may not remember the and one basketball tapes, but these guys put on a show every night, and uh, Lantigua, I think, he keeps hitting. His defense uh, is going to be be there for the long run. But if he keeps hitting, he's also going to be moving up the chain very quickly. And that's beautiful. Breaking down the playoff chase right now, the standings: Bluefield is nineteen and ten. Princeton is nineteen and ten. How do you see the standings shaping up as the weeks go onward? That's going to be so interesting to watch because these two teams, Princeton and Bluefield, play the most out of the division. They play eleven total. Uh, I think they've got five or six left on the year. So every one of those games are going to be big. Uh, Danville's not far behind, about two and a half, three and a half games back. And, uh, you know, we uh, pulled out a squeaker 
to win the series against Danville, but we had trouble. We lost three out of four at Princeton. Uh, so uh, Princeton is uh, – the Rays have a great team up there this year. Uh, the Jays have kind of hit a little lull here, but it's not its not due to the fact that they're not playing well. They've just hit some good teams. You know, Princeton's top of the division. Danville's right there in the top of the division as well. And Johnson City, who they've lost the past night, two nights to, uh, they're, they're off and uh, they've kind of hit a, a pretty good little skid here after the uh, short all-star break uh, per se. But uh, Johnson City gave them fits at home a few weeks ago as well. So, uh, you know, the top half of both divisions are very tough in the Appy League. And once the playoffs start, if it is a Princeton-Bluefield uh, divisional matchup, uh, Mercer County, West Virginia might explode because <laughs> those two teams, uh, it's always been one is way better than the other. There's been very few years that those two teams have been great the same year. And this year they're tied atop the standings going into tonight. And I, I don't see them veering too far off the course the rest of the year if, if things hold true. And uh, a divisional championship between those two would be uh, a great three-game set. In the Appalachian League, is there a team that has a distinct home field advantage for whatever reason? Uh, you know what? I really don't think so. Pulaski, though, they, they really draw the most. Uh, they've re- renovated their park. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of new amenities, nice amenities, which a lot of the new, a lot of the parks in the Appy League have, have really uh, done a great job of advancing, uh, you know, past the stages of the 80s and 90s, which a lot of them were kind of stuck in there a few years. But uh, Pulaski probably has a decent home field advantage. I, you know, Burlington, even though they're not uh, very, very good this year. They they seem to have a home field advantage as well, just because they're so far away from everyone else. I think Danville is the closest opponent they have, and Danville's pretty uh, pretty off the grid from everyone else as well, because uh, Southwest Virginia, Southern West Virginia, and Northeast Tennessee is everyone else, and then Danville's out in kind of South Central Virginia, and Burlington's out in uh, you know the Piedmont of North Carolina. So they're kind of off the grid. Um, you know, I think the trip to Burlington is probably what would make Burlington, uh, you know, more of a home field for them than anywhere else, though. Zach Helton, the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays, 19-10 and 10 right now. Go to bluefieldjays.com and follow all their exploits and tune in to Zach. Zach, thank you very much for joining me. Jesse, as always, great having you, man. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot and uh, appreciate all you do. All right, until next week. Now, no Rob Fay because the Vancouver Canadians are playing a nooner, or at the very least, no Rob Fay live, but he did have the chance to check in with an update. Well, hello, Jesse, and everybody listening to Around the Chest here. Uh, we appreciate being a part of the show, considering that as you listen to this, our Canadians are on the field, taking on the Hillsborough Hops. It's the future of the Blue Jays, the future of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and uh, boy, if today's game is anything like yesterday's game, the future of the Blue Jays looks pretty bright. We saw some great efforts from eighth-rounder Joey Murray. Uh, Sean Weimer, the fourth-rounder, was outstanding as well. And even Connor Law at the back of the bullpen is starting to anoint himself as the closer 
for the Vancouver Canadians. He's got a mid-90s fastball, a kid from Chatham, Illinois. Uh, you know what, a free agent signing, a little bit late, long in the tooth by prospect standards. But he's a guy that I think you could put on the map as a potential guy that would finish the season maybe with Lansing and you guys, Jesse, as you make your run towards a Midwest League championship. Well, from the hitting side, it's the usual suspects. Griffin Conine has done everything that he can. The Otto Lopez experience continues to excel. And we could also say that former University of Notre Dame standout Nick Podcool, now back from an injury, is really starting to find his stride as well. So the top of the order for the Vancouver Canadians, the proverbial one, two, three, is doing everything that they can to keep the Vancouver Canadians in this conversation in the North Division. Here's the situation for the Seas. They're one game back with four to play as they try to secure the first half pennant for the second straight season. The only problem, Jesse, is the team that they're facing, the Hillsborough Hops, has the best record in the Northwest League, and the team that they're chasing, they don't have the tiebreaker again. So with four games to go, they've got to be two games better than Everett, and again, taking on a very formidable foe in the Hillsborough Hops, who could clinch a pennant today. So champagne could pop in Vancouver. Unfortunately, it would be in the road clubhouse as the Hillsborough Hops are three up with four to play. And I got to sneak a suspicion that there might be some champagne pops, uh, be it today or tomorrow. Reason being is Hillsborough's magic number to clinch their division is one. So even if the Canadians win today over Hillsborough, later tonight, Boise in action against Everett. Boise lost. 17-2 to the Aqua Sox just a couple hours ago. So that's the situation from here. Again, we've got a couple of guys that are hitting the ball real well. Our arms have always been good all season, and hopefully the Canadians can at least keep it going right till the end of the first half. As again, we've got four more days of sold-out crowds here at Scotiabank Field. More than 30,000 fans are coming to the ballpark in the next 72 hours. Jesse, thanks for having us, and enjoy the rest of the broadcast. That is Rob Fay, the voice of the Vancouver Canadians. Checking in, letting us know how things are going with the Blue Jays Northwest League affiliate. Now we hop up the ladder up to the single-A level. I bring in Dante DeCaria as we talk some Lansing Lugnuts baseball. Dante, we begin by talking promotions. So, so far this year, what promotions, home or road, have stood out to you? Um, this year, I thought Game of Thrones night was awesome. Um, <laughs> I thought that was really cool how the Lugnuts got to wear a different style jersey for the first time in their history. I thought the promotional video was awesome, made by our production manager, Ryan LeFever, who does an excellent job with his staff. And it was planned out really well. The bobblehead night with uh, Noah Syndergaard on that Game of Thrones night was great. Um, I think that was one that really uh, stood out to me the most. But um, I think overall, the Lugnuts have had great promotions this year, and it has to go all the way back to Tyler Parsons, the general manager, who has done a tremendous job. With regard to the players on the field, the Bluebird banter question is as follows. Who on the Lugnuts has the highest ceiling, and who on the team has the highest floor? Uh, highest, highest ceiling for me, I think, has to be Chavez Young. He's a switch hitter. Um, he has a tremendous arm. He has tremendous defensive ability. He's an athletic outfielder that can play the corners and in center field. He has great speed. He's got a little bit of extra base power in his bat. He's got good contact. He, he walks a good amount of times. I think he has the highest uh, ceiling. Highest floor for me probably has to go for Ryan Nota, who has tremendous power, tremendous uh, plate discipline. Dave Pano and the coaching staff said that he's actually a tremendous defensive first baseman and a really good outfielder. We've seen him take a lot of really big strides this year, so I think those are the two guys. All right, another Bluebird banter question that is right up your alley. Zach Pop, quote-unquote, a question about a Brampton, Ontario player that the Orioles picked up in the Manny Machado trade. 
Did you get a chance to see Zach Pop when he played for the Great Lakes Loons? If so, what were your impressions of him? Well, Jesse, you know that we got to see him. We saw him in the first series of the year, and we were very impressed. And um, I actually had the opportunity to interview Zach Pop, and it was a wonderful conversation with him. I thought that from what we saw in his one game against the Lugnets, that he had a great arm. He was very deceptive. He had a good fastball, a good slider, a good changeup, and uh, he's a big right-hander. I mean, you can't go wrong with him. Um, there's one thing that I love the most about Zach Pop that probably does not stand out, and that is the fact that the way he throws the ball is funky, um, and it's tough for a hitter to pick up at 98 miles an hour with sink. And he, he kind of like, when he comes towards the plate, he almost hops off the mound like a Carter Caps did a few years back. Another question from Bluebird Banter about the half system. What do you think about the half system in terms of that's why the Lugnuts are under the playoffs right now, but meanwhile, the Fisher Cats in the Eastern League, no half system. They need to work their way entirely through the whole year to make it in. Well, we're talking about two different levels, right? You know, there's a huge difference between Class A and Double A. You know, like at the beginning of the year, you had, you know, much older players in Double A, like a Craig Bresler, who's like 37 years old, and he's played in Double A. Obviously, he's now in Triple A. But that's just an example, right, where you can always sign a guy out of independent ball or as a free agent or a guy that's released and say, all right, he's going to help our double A club. Maybe he'll play triple A next year, or maybe we'll just release him and he can help your team win. Um, whereas in class A, you know, you don't necessarily see guys get signed because it's, you know, a lot younger players. And then you put them in class A and say, all right, they're going to help our class A team where it's more just about developing rather than winning compared to at the double A and triple A level where things are a little bit different. Um, I like the half system down here. Um, in double-A, I think because guys stay there longer, it makes sense not to have it. But as for the Lansing Lugnuts, let's be honest, even though they're on this six-game losing streak right now, Jesse, even if the half system is not in place, they're in, still in the playoffs right now. They're still second place. They're still top four, right? I, I think either way, even if there's no half system with the Lugnuts this year, they still make the playoffs. It just helps that there is a half system because um, this team obviously doesn't have the same amount of offense that they did at the start of the season. It's true. And by the way, I was in the AA Southern League, which also does the half system. The AA Eastern League doesn't. AA Southern League does. It's one of those peculiar things that differs from league to league. All right, let's talk about this Lansing Lugna team specifically. They are coming right now on a six-game losing streak, entering tonight's game against the Peoria Chiefs. What have you seen from them during this losing streak? Um, we have seen not a lot of hitting. We haven't seen any pitching when the team has not hit. And we haven't really seen this team play as a team like they were in the first three months of the season, like we saw in June, May, and also in, in April. Um, it, I feel like when this team does not hit, they, they don't pitch. And when they hit, they, they pitch, right? And right now, they're not doing any of that. So I think this is just a learning curve for the Lansing Lugnuts. Jesse, you and I both knew that this was going to happen at some point during the season because the Lugnuts were not going to keep the likes of Kevin Smith, Brock Lundquist, and company. So other guys had to step it up. The only thing is, is that, yeah, this is a learning curve for this team, but, you know, they, they say everybody has a role on a team. You've got to know your role. And there's guys that the Blue Jays sent up here to the Lansing Lugnuts that ha haven't really found their role on their team just yet. They, they were in Cynic Spring training, they were supposed to be in Vancouver this year, and then things went sideways up at the other levels, and they got moved up a little bit too quickly when they probably 
weren't ready for this level. And Jesse, both you and I are seeing that some of these players that are up here with the Lugnuts might not just be ready yet for the Class A level, which has caused them to have some struggles, has had them go through some ups and downs. So it's a tough losing streak for the Lansing Lugnuts. It's the first time that they have lost this many games right now. But to be honest, I was down in the clubhouse today and yesterday and obviously in the other days prior, and I haven't noticed a difference in if we've lost 10 straight or we've won 10 straight, right? Everybody's still the same. Everybody still comes in with a great attitude, wanting to win, and they joke around, and they try to be like a family. And the last thing that I'm going to say is that the coaching staff, the Lansing Lugnets, you know, talked to these guys and had a meeting the other day about, let's be that family again. Just because we lost a lot of family, we can still have new guys come in, and we're still all family. Let's be a team. One of the specific reasons that we started up around the nest was to describe A, the players, what we are seeing, the different exploits, and B, the funny, weird things that occur over the course of a long season. So first, let's talk about one of the players. Ryan Noda yesterday, three for three with a walk. Your recent observations of Ryan. I just think Ryan Noda is trying to carry this team on his back right now, and yesterday he did all he could um, to do that, but obviously nobody was there behind him to drive him in. And I think that's what it comes down to with this team is that there isn't really a lot of run producers. There's a lot of guys that know how to get on base, but not necessarily a lot of guys that know how to drive in runs. And Ryan notice is kind of in the middle of that, Jesse. He's batting second in the order today, which is more suited for his type of playing style. You know, likes to walk and hit a home run here and there, can hit a double, hit a single. So, guys behind him need to drive him in. And the lug nuts are just trying to shuffle things around and trying to see where he fits in. I personally think he's a number two hitter on any other team that has the likes of Kevin Smith and Brock Lundquist, Casey Clements, or even Cullen Large behind him. But with Ryan Noda, the one thing that has impressed me the most this year is how he has become smarter as the season has gone on and he has had to take on a bigger and bigger role each and every day, whether it's defensively, we've seen great strides in the outfield. We've seen great strides at first base, and we've seen great strides with hitting. Earlier today, both you and I went down to the cage and did a little bit of a video that will be coming out soon on what he likes to do in the cage. He doesn't like to use a tee. He has a very simple approach. He's a simple guy, and when he goes to the plate, he has a simple approach, and he's ready to hit the baseball. Loved learning about Ryan Noda's routine. All right, let's talk about a specific game. The way that the Lansing Lugnuts lost a week ago last Friday at Burlington was not your normal style of defeat. (laughs) Go ahead and tell the story. I mean, you know what, Jesse, you told me at the beginning of the year that you want to tell stories on the air. Well, this is a story that I'm going to probably tell for the rest of my life. (laughs) No, it was unbelievable. The Lugnuts scored five runs in the, uh, the top of the ninth inning to tie the game. They finished things off, tied 7-7 up there. They were down 7-2. And we're thinking in our heads, all right, well, this is the same Lugnuts team. We're back. We are coming back in games. We're fighting. That's exactly what they did. And then all of a sudden, the lights turn off before we even start the bottom of the ninth while Dalton Rodriguez is warming up on the mound. And the umpire says, we're going to call the game for 30 minutes. In the middle of that 30-minute delay with the lights off, they're trying to figure out if they can turn the lights back on. And we find out, no, they can't turn the lights back on. All of a sudden, it starts pouring rain. Everybody gets out of there. We have thunder and lightning. And then the lights turn back on suddenly. 
but and then the umpire comes out and says, no, we're not going to play because of the rain. But and then it stops raining as he says that, and they had not put the tarp on. So the field is fine. We can play baseball, and they call the game, and they go all the way back to the previous inning. So the Lugnuts, in their eyes, had not tied the game and received the loss. I don't know if they've ever seen that before, and the coaching staff was not happy. The players weren't happy, and the Lugnuts have lost six straight ever since. It's the curse. It's the curse. A power yet. outage. <laughs> they fix the power. A rain delay. The rain stops, and they call the game. Yeah. I mean, it's the curse, Jesse. Right now, ever since that game, the Lugnuts have not won. And, there's, you know, some of the guys like to be superstitious. Some of them are saying, well, Don, we started losing ever since Dante started his, uh, his mustache. We started losing ever since this, you know, just, you know, here and there. It's, you know, I think the guys, if they want to be superstitious, it's ever since the power went out because this team's uh, bats have turned off ever since. Well, we'll see if the Lugnuts can turn their luck around. Dante DeCaria, thank you very much for joining Around the Nest for another week talking about the Jays hey. single-A affiliate. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Always a pleasure to come on. All right. You can find him on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante, LansingLugnuts.com to follow up with the Lugnuts. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, and that concludes another week of Around the Nest. No AAA Buffalo talk or A-Advanced Needham talk on this week's episode. We'll get back to it next week. We hope to hear from Rob Fay live as well. But we did hear a ton about Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and those New Hampshire uh, Fisher Vlads. We spoke with Zach Helton about the Bluefield Blue Jays. You heard from Rob Fay live on tape. Dante DeCaria, meanwhile, talking about the Lansing Lugnuts. Hey, glad to have you along with us here uh, on Around the Nest. Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, and on Twitter, that's at Jay Goldstrass. Meanwhile, minor underscore leaguer for the minor leaguer, my great SB Nation partner, bluebirdbanter.com. Keep on sending in those questions, and whatever we can do to answer them, whatever we can do to give you insights, we shall. We are at Around Nest once again on Twitter. I'll put this up as soon as I can via SoundCloud and via podcast, via iTunes, etc., wherever you can find it. Thank you again. This has been Around the Nest for another week. We'll check back with you in seven days.